What a day. You know, I told you last week, this is really exciting. I hope and pray that, that, that what the Lord will have to say to us today will be as meaningful this service as it has been the last two. As a fact, as a matter of fact, I won't tell you who, but last service, someone came up to me and said, May the 23rd, 2002, 1.15 in the afternoon, I came to believe in Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. Now, that's, that is really wonderful. What is really wonderful is, is right now, he told me, he's 88 years old. So in his late 70s, early 80s, he said he had been to church. He had done a lot of things in church, but he really had never really made a commitment of his life to Jesus Christ. And he said he did on that day, and it, it changed him. Well, this service we're about to have, if I could... Uh, if I could uh, go and, and, and do a revival somewhere, which <laughs> ain't going to happen, but if I could go and do that, this, would be, this might be the message that I would ask to preach. It's out of the book of Revelation. It's the second chapter. It's the uh, 12th through the 17th verses. It's, the, it's about the church at Pergamum. Now, we've, we've taken a look at this church, and we, we found out that, that unlike the church at Ephesus, Ephesus, the Lord says, this I have against you. Remember what it was? You have what? Yeah, you've, you've, you've left your first love. Bad. So they were persecuted, the church at Ephesus, and, and went under many, many trials. This church, the church at Pergamum, not so much persecution, not so much trials. What God is judging them is they've, they've, they've allowed themselves to, to fall prey to compromise and pleasure. And the Lord says this, I have a few things against you, talking about Pergamum. He says you followed the teaching of Balaam, you followed the teaching of uh, Balaam and Barak. I don't want to say Barak. I don't want to say the wrong word here. Balak. Balaam, Balak, and the Nicolaitans. And, um, and we're going to see how this church is, is really a lot like churches today across the United States of America, maybe this world. The, the churches that have just that just have little by little compromised their faith and little by little have allowed themselves to move away from the very essence of, of who we are supposed to be in the name of Jesus Christ our Lord and our Savior. If I forget to say this, I want to say this now. For those of you that are visiting here, we do not want you to pay much attention to our church. It's not that important. We don't want you to pay much attention to our denomination. We aren't even a denomination. We are, in the essence, a church that are followers of Jesus Christ, period. That's what we are. We, we believe in His Word. We believe that His Word will reveal Himself to us. And we believe that His Word will do a work in your life, in my life, all of our lives. And so that's what we believe here. And so this particular place in Scripture is, 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 is very important for us to understand and know. We need to take a look at the things that we're doing well and continue on that path. And we need to look at anything that we might do, be doing incorrectly and, 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 and repent from it. And we'll talk about that word repent. Would you please turn with me to uh, the book of Revelation, the last book in your Bible, of course, to the second chapter. 
And let's read about this church in Pergamum and let's see what, uh, what we've been looking at. Last weekend we saw that Pergamum was a city that was full of idols. They worshipped these idols. And more than that, they were a church that compromised with the world. They allowed sin to creep into their sanctuary. And as you'll note here, please with me, um, look at verse 16. We'll read them all in a moment. But he asks them to repent. He says, or else I'm going to come to you quickly. Quickly, again, we've learned, means without warning. That doesn't mean in time, without warning. And he says, I'm coming to you, and I will make war against them. And what had happened because of this, this verse, we can see that infiltrated into the church at Pergamum were believers and unbelievers, and the unbelievers were having a, a say-so in what they were doing. And that again, just verifies what we teach here. And of course, what Paul taught, not what we do, what Paul says, beware of false teachers within the body of Christ. And so we saw these things. We saw that they became too close to the world. If you remember a few weeks ago, one of my dearest friends in this world, Kenny Hutchison, spoke of his favorite, one of his favorite verses, in fact, the life verse, and it was in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. But I want to read to you verse 2. Because Paul writes these words, Do not be conformed to this world, but rather, he says, be transformed. Now how? Well, he says, by the renewing of your mind. This is what renews our minds. The, 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 the concentration, the, the consideration of who is Jesus Christ in your life and understanding the words that he has written to us so that we might know him better. So it says, by the renewing of our minds, doing a Bible study, so that we might prove what the will of God is. That which is good, that which is acceptable, and that which is perfect. Now, James seems to be a little bit more confrontive with the way he writes and speaks. James writes in James 4.4 these penetrating words. He says, do you not know? that friendship with the world is hostility towards God. He says, therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of this world makes themselves to be an enemy with God. Now, it can't be said any more clearer than that. And so with that, we, we come upon the scene. Now, we saw a fellow by the name of Antipas. Now, we don't know who he is. I wanted to find out. I really tried to find out about him this week, whether he was the pastor there or whether he was just a member, because his name means against all. And so more than likely, what had happened to this fellow Antipas, he was against the way they were going. He was against them all as far as infiltrating within the church two different thoughts and, and having false teaching and, and, and so it, it says of him, if you would read with me again in chapter 2, um, verse 13, he says, I know where you dwell, talking to this church at, at Pergamum. You dwell where Satan's throne is. You hold fast to my name, that's good. You do not deny my faith, that's good. Even in the days of Antipas, my witness, my faithful one, who was killed among you, where Satan dwells. So, Somewhere in the world, this fellow named Antipas. Now, here's what I did learn. Tradition tells us that there was, a, there was this Christian on trial. Didn't even mention his name. He was a follower of Jesus Christ. And the emperor at that time 
walked to him in the midst of this trial in front of everyone and said, Do you not realize that all the world is against you? To which he looked the emperor right in the eyes and said, Therefore, he says, I am against all the world. That was the true heart of Antipas. And folks, like it or not, that's what God wants from you and me today. He wants a people who will stand for the very essence of truth and are willing to stand for what we believe in Jesus Christ against anything and everyone that, that says differently. Well, let's take a look at this place. Read with me again verses 12 through 17. I know we did last week, but let's refresh our memories about this place in Scripture. This is to the church at Pergamum. And to the angel of the church at Pergamum write, The one who has the sharp two-edged sword says this, I know where you dwell, where Satan's throne is. You hold fast my name. You do not deny my faith. Even in the days of Antipas, my witness, my faithful one, who was killed among you, where Satan dwells. But I have a few things against you. Because you have there some who hold to the teachings of Balaam, who keep teaching Balak and put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel to eat things sacrificed to idols and to commit acts of immorality. Thus you have some who, in the same way, hold the teaching of the Nicolaitans. Verse 16, Repent, therefore, or else... I am coming to you quickly. I will make war against them with the sword of my mouth. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And to him who overcomes, to him I will give some of the hidden manna. And I will give him a white stone and a new name written on the stone, which no one knows but he who receives it. I I can't wait to talk to you about that in a moment. Let's first pray. Father in heaven above. Thank you for everybody here. Thank you for seeing Sarah again. Bless her, Father. Bless her beyond her wildest dream. Have the very perfect place for her to, to, um, to do her baking when she's through with her school. Um, I thank you for Russell and, and Chantel. Bless them, Father. And, and whatever you're going to do with his singing, uh, will you bless it beyond his wildest dream as well? And would he honor you by always honoring you in what he does? Um, I ask your blessings, Father, now upon this word that we've just read. I pray, Father, that you would, as it says in the Psalms, uh, open up our eyes so that we might behold wonderful things from your law. For that to take place in its fullest, Father, I pray that you would move me aside, that you would actually hide the one that gives the message behind the wonders of your great words. May we, may we sense that we're hearing from your heart, not, us, not the preacher that you would speak to us, Father, as only you can. There are different people here with different needs, and Father, only you can fulfill each one. So I pray that you would, you would, uh, you would have that happen in each of our lives, and, and I pray that you would bless us, Father, and we would bless you. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Well, we don't need to look far to find out where the problem is in, in Pergamum. Verses 14 and 15, the Lord says, I have a few things against you. Um, you have some who hold to the teachings of Balaam, who kept the teachings of Balak, put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel, and ate things sacrificed to idols, and committed acts of immorality. And also there are some who hold to the teaching of the Nicolaitans. And so we see that God is against 
the teaching of Balaam, Balak, and the Nicolaitans. What we see are the horrors, God's warning against all false teaching within the church. Now, we have to go back to the Old Testament to find out about Balaam and Balak. In Numbers, from chapter 22 to chapter 31, we see that Balaam is introduced as called a prophet of God, but, but in reality, he was a hired gun. He was a false prophet. He was a hireling. And there is very little worse within a church than someone who becomes a hireling, who, who does it for whatever reasons other than just the pure reason of serving God for the joy of the fellowship and equipping one another. What, what Balaam did was he paid and enticed women of other nations to come and seduce the men of Israel. They seduced them into sexual sin and in time caused thousands of them to stumble, even die. The sons of Israel's sin became not only the sexual sin with these women, but soon they followed after these women's false god. They, they, they in other words, conformed their lives into the world that was around them instead of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob as they were supposed to do. Now in Numbers, King Balak of Moab was fearful of the Israelites. So what he did was he hired a false prophet called Balaam to curse them. Now Balaam, being a false prophet, cursed them three times and nothing happened. And so he didn't want to show that he wasn't really a prophet. So what he decided to do was to come up with another plan. And what he did, he, he went to the foreign nation of the Moabites. He brought the women in to lure the Israelites into, into the behavior of their lifestyle. He brought them into sexual immorality and idolatry. And this union with the world, this compromise, destroyed the, the spiritual integrity and the power of the nation of Israel because sin stopped God from blessing them. Now, Balaam's plan succeeded, but God intervened. And when God intervened, he severely chastened Israel. In Numbers chapter 25, verse 9 we are told that God caused a plague to come, a plague, I should say, to come upon the nation, and 24,000 of them died, the Israelites. 24,000 of them died. Not only the, the common folk, but also to their leaders. In Numbers chapter 25, verses 4 and 5, the Lord said this to Moses, Take all of the leaders execute them in broad daylight before the Lord so that the fierce anger of the Lord may turn Israel away from their sin. So it says, Moses said to the judges of Israel, take all of the men who have joined themselves to the Baal of Peor and have them executed. This drastic action by God halted the Israelites' slide into immorality and idolatry. That was the teachings of Balaam and Balak. The same is true to a degree of the teachings of Nicolaitans. Remember, in, in chapter 2, verse 6, God said to the church at Ephesus, this thing he says you do good. 
He says, you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which, he says, I also hate, God said. So, listen, what God hates, you and I are to hate. So what did he hate about the Nicolaitans? Now, Balaam's sin was compromised with pleasure, the world and pleasure. The Nicolaitans' sin was to experiment with sin. The Nicolaitans were a group of people who, who wanted to see if something was really as bad as it's made out to be. I mean, so they, they decided to experiment with sin to see whether they could handle it or not. You know what it reminds me of? It goes right back to the original sin. It goes right back to the garden. Remember when, when God told Adam, from all of these trees you may freely eat. Just don't eat from the tree which is in the middle of the garden. The day you eat of that tree, you shall what? Surely die. You're going to die, surely. No, you will surely die. <laughs> I thought that was funny. All right. You should surely die. So the next chapter... The serpent comes, Satan comes to Eve, and he says, Indeed, has God said that you can eat from all the trees in the garden? And she said, Oh, no, no. We can eat from all the trees in the garden, but the one in the middle of the garden, we shall not eat it nor touch it, lest we die. And he says to her, You will surely not die. Listen to what he says. Listen to what he says. He says in verse 5 of Genesis chapter 3, For God knows that in the day that you eat from this tree, your eyes are going to be open and you're going to be like God and you're going to know the difference between good and evil. Same sin. Just a different verse, different time. You see, the sin has not changed over the years. There are we are warned in 1 John that there are three different areas that we need to be careful of. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life. That's where Satan comes against us. And so here we see the bottom line is this. Nothing will destroy a church quicker or your life or your family than to allow sin to creep in and to tolerate it or to experiment with it in any fashion. Within a church, we are called to, to judge sin. And we are called to remove sin and to remove the ones who desire to keep on doing it if they do not or are unwilling to repent. So look what God says in verse 16. And I want to talk to you about a word that... Uh, that you, we and I, we really must familiarize ourselves with, is the word repentance. He says in verse 16, therefore, repent. Or else he says, I'm going to come to you quickly. And I'm going to make war against them with the sword of my mouth. Now what is meant by the word repent there? Today, really too little is said about repentance. Bottom line, to repent means to turn away from it's as easy as that. In other words, if you're in sin or you're about to sin and you recognize it and you're walking towards it, let's say it's this way, and you're moving in that direction, what you are to do is to repent or, in other words, turn away from and go the other way. Get away from it. When you see sin, what should you do? Well, God Almighty says... Here's what you're to do. And I want to show you from perhaps one of the most godly men in all of Scripture and how he dealt with temptation and sin. Turn with me, please, 
to the very first book in the Bible now. We're going to go from the last to the first, Genesis and the 39th chapter. We're going to take a look at a young man, good-looking, um, just a godly man by the name of Joseph. And you've got to fall in love with Joseph. Joseph was... was in, his brothers were envious of him. They got jealous of him and they sold him into slavery. They took him, the, the people that bought him, took him to Egypt. And once he got to Egypt, a man named Potiphar bought him. And that's where the, 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 the whole scenario takes place here in the 39th chapter. Read with me, please. And Joseph, it says in verse 1, had been taken down to Egypt. Potiphar, the Egyptian officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the bodyguard, bought him from the Ishmaelites. They, they bought him from his brothers. They, they took him down there to Egypt. Verse 2, the Lord was with Joseph, so that Joseph became a successful man. He was in the house of his master, that's Potiphar, the Egyptian. And his master saw that the Lord was with Joseph, and how the Lord caused all that Joseph did to prosper in his hand. So therefore, verse 4, Joseph found favor in Potiphar's sight. He became Potiphar's personal servant. And Potiphar made him overseer over his house. And all that he owned, he put in Joseph's charge. It came about, in verse 5, from, from the time that, that Potiphar made Joseph overseer of his house and over all that he owned, that the Lord blessed Potiphar's house on account of Joseph. Thus the Lord's blessing was upon all that Potiphar owned, in the house and in the field. Verse 6, So he left everything that he owned in Joseph's charge. And with him he did not concern himself with anything except the food which Joseph ate. Now Joseph was handsome in form and in appearance. And it came about after these events that the master, Potiphar's wife, looked with desire at Joseph and said, lie with me. In other words, she didn't say, let's, let's go tell people untruths. <laughs> no, no. She said, come here, you good-looking hunk of a slave. <laughs> as far as I know, Potiphar's off somewhere. Come on, lie with me. Verse 8, Joseph refused. He said to his Potiphar's wife, Behold, with me here my master doesn't concern himself with anything in this house. He has put all that he owns in my charge. And there is no one greater in this house than myself. And he has withheld nothing from me except you, because you're his wife. How then could I do this great evil and sin against Potiphar? Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. He doesn't mention Potiphar, does he? He says, how can I do this great evil and sin against who? God. He says, it is my God who I am following. I am in this house because of my God, not because of anything else. And I am prospering you because of my God. And I am not about to sin or do any great evil because... I am a follower of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Well, she didn't give up easily. Verse 10 says, It came about as she spoke to Joseph day after day. In other words, come here, by the way, by the way, I bet you a, 
I don't bet that's not right. I'll tell you, I, I want to say I bet you, I, I bet she was just beautiful. Because it wouldn't have been any kind of temptation if she looked like me. She had, you know, had long hair, but a big nose. You know, I bet she was just a really pretty. And Joseph was a young man. He was a normal young man who was, who was celibate until he was going to get married. And he wouldn't have anything to do with her. And she came after him, as it says here, and I think it was in the 10th verse, day after day. And he would not listen to her. He would not lie beside her or even be with her. I like that. In other words, when, I, when he heard her heels clicking down the hall, I bet he went to the other room real fast because he knew that she was after him. Well, finally, in verse 11, it happened one day that when he went into the house to do his work, no one was there. None of the men of the household, certainly not Potiphar, and verse 12 says that she caught him by his garment and she said, lie with me. And he left his garment, and here's repentance, folks. He left his garments in his hand and he fled and went outside. You want to know? You don't have to go to seminary to find out a great theological lesson. Repentance means when you are in a situation that is sinful, you flee from it. Turn and go the other way. When she, verse 13, saw that he had left his garment in her, her hand and fled outside, she called to the men of the house and she said, Look, look, my husband brought in a Hebrew to make sport of us. He came in to lie with me and I screamed. I bet she did scream. I bet she screamed, Come back here! That's what I bet she screamed. <laughs> I love this story. came about that when he heard that I raised my voice and screamed, he left his garment beside me and he fled so she left the garment beside her until Potiphar came home. And when, when she spoke to Potiphar with these words, she says, Look, the Hebrew slave who you brought into us, he's came in to make sport of me. Happened as I raised my voice and screamed that he left his garment and fled outside. You know the story. Here's, here's Joseph doing the right thing before God Almighty. And what happens to him? Does he get rewarded? Boom, he gets thrown in prison. But what happens when he's in prison? He finds favor with the prison guard and he becomes the head of all of that too. God protected Joseph at every turn. You see, Joseph wasn't a servant. Joseph was God's man in that country for God's purpose. So are you, so am I. That's what we live for if we really want to know and love the Lord. So what do you do when... When you find temptations, did, 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 did he share the ten spiritual laws with her? Did he say to her, wait, 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 wait a minute, Let, let's, let's do a Bible study here. Did he ask her, cool down, Potiphar's wife, let's have some coffee, let's talk this over. No, he did what was the only solution, and that is he fled, he, he ran, he skadoodled out of there. He left his garment in her hand and he beat it. That's Repentance fleeing, turning, moving away from sin. It's as simple as that. It's as complex as that. It's your decision. You desire to walk with Jesus Christ is like I hope we all do. Then we need to turn from our sin, even if we have to run from it. Well, back please to 
the text that we are in, in the book of Revelation, the second chapter, let's look at the 16th verse. Note the change of the pronouns from you to them. The you are the believers within the body of Christ. The them are the unbelievers within that same body that have been filtrated into the church. Jesus says, I will remove you, I will move the lampstand out of its place. I will remove the lampstand out of its place. In other words, he'll remove their effectiveness if they do not repent. To them, the unbelievers, he says, I'm going to make war against them. His weapon is going to be his mouth. In other words, his word, which, by the way, they reject. Anyone who doesn't trust in Christ does not trust in his words. That's why this must be taught so that you get a clear picture of who you're believing in. Listen, Jesus, just, Jesus does not make war with believers. We are saved, and we are saved from His wrath forevermore. He will, though, sadly come and remove us, remove us from our place of effectiveness for His plan and for His purpose within our lives if we do not repent, if we continue in sin, if we allow the world to infiltrate into our church. He'll accomplish His plan. He'll just do it elsewhere, some other church. I don't want that to happen here. I don't believe you do either. I, I want to be right in the very center of the will of my God. I'm sure you do as well. But to the unbeliever, He's going to make war. We listened to a great message this Wednesday morning by uh, Dr. Edwards, who is teaching us, Amazingly true, amazing truth on, on men's breakfast Wednesday morning. Men, I'm going to have him speak here in the pulpit someday soon. He's, he's a gifted, godly communicator, teaching us that we need to be salt and light in this world in which we live. We need to be a guide to those who are unbelievers. We need to draw them to Jesus Christ and his matchless word. But to become an ineffective, compromising church will cause unbelievers to, to fall and ultimately do battle against God, a battle that they will surely lose. So I pray God forgive us if we become a church that compromises our faith, causing anyone to stumble in coming to believe and trust in Jesus Christ. You were given a, a pamphlet. Let me just briefly read and, and see what you think of us. This is what we chose to believe in when we formed the Rock Community Church. The vision of the Rock Community Church is simply this. It is our vision that the generations that follow, we wrote this some seven years ago, our vision of the generations that follow will hold to the sound doctrine and pass on the true faith according to biblical standards. We set forth this vision by standing against the temptation of worldly compromise that faces every generation. It is our goal to hear from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, Well done, my good and faithful servants. We believe that we are called of God to teach the Bible line upon line and to equip, and on and on it goes. We're still holding true to that, and we will forever hold true to that, I pray. We want to pass on to the next generation what they ought to teach as far as the Word of God is concerned. Let's, let's jump ahead now. Let's look at verse 17. See that Jesus promises to those who hear Him and to those who overcome. That means to trust in Him and Him alone as our Lord and Savior. He says, I'll give you two things. I'll give you the hidden manna, 
And he says, I'll give you a white stone with a new name on it that you will receive and only you'll know. I can imagine someday in heaven itself, you, we'll be all out having a good time, a few of us playing around and out in the distance, we're going to hear a voice say, Slender, that'll be my name, I guess, because then I hope I'll be slender. Slender, and I'll say, excuse me, guys, I've got to go, and I'll go back, and I'll know that name when I hear that voice. The hidden manna is explained in John chapter 6. Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you who believe and has eternal life, I am, he says, the bread of life. He is that hidden manna. The white stone, I want you to think about this statement for a moment. It speaks of the very precious intimacy, the personal interest, intimacy that we will have with Jesus Christ and He with us. He will give you a name which no one knows but you. The forever intimate and personal relationship all believers must have with their living Lord. In other words, I cannot come to Christ for you. There was only one person I could come to Christ for, and that was myself. I couldn't do it for my wife. I couldn't do it for my kids. I couldn't do it for my mother. I couldn't do it for my father. They each had to individually come to Christ on their own. It is personal to you. You have to. You must do it all by yourself. And you're to hold fast the name of Jesus Christ. In Philippians chapter 2, verses 8 to 11, as we close, it tells us that at the name of Jesus Christ, every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess Jesus as Lord. To some people, at the judgment seat of God, it'll be too late to save their soul. They will simply then realize that Jesus Christ is truly who He said He is. God of very God, the one who holds all eternity and all eternal life in His hand. And yes, they will then realize that they should have come to Him when they could. But they choose not to for whatever reason. You see, Scripture tells us very clearly in 2 Corinthians 6-2, now is the acceptable time. Today is the day of salvation. Let me ask you a question. Have, have you come to Christ? Do you know Him as your Lord and Savior? I mean, do you? Do you really know? Do you know for certain that, that you're saved? Or do you say, I, gosh, I, ho oh, I hope so. You should never have to say you hope so. You shouldn't never have to say, well, I think I am. Let me ask you another question. Are you married? You know that, don't you? Sure, you know whether you're married or not. Something far more like your eternal salvation is much more important. Do you know that you're saved? Have you trusted in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? March 27th, March 27th, the year 2011. It's 11.34 in the morning. I know of no greater time to come to Christ than right now. You know why the Bible says now is the acceptable time? Now is the day of salvation? It's because you or I are not guaranteed this afternoon, let alone tomorrow. We don't know if this is going to be our last breath. And so the Lord says, come, come to me. Trust in me. I beg of you. I beg of you. Can you now see why now this gentleman came to me and said, May the 23rd. 
2002, 1.15 in the afternoon, I gave my heart to Christ. I'm March the 12th, 1973, 3 o'clock in the afternoon, on the island of Honolulu, Hawaii. I accepted Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. If you don't know for certain, today, March the 27th, 11.35 now, on the year 2011, you can ask Jesus Christ to forgive you of your sin. You can ask Him to make you into the type of person that He's created you to be anyways. And then you can come here and fellowship with us and we'll teach you out of the Word of God. We won't give you our opinion. We'll just tell you what does the Bible have to say about everlasting life? What does the Bible have to say about this one called Jesus Christ whom we worship here at this church? Not the church itself, not our denomination, none of those things. The things that we do are just, are just things. What we do here, as far as understanding the Bible and understanding what Jesus Christ says to us is everything to this church. Because we want to fall deeply and head over heels in love with Jesus Christ. We want you to be a part of that family. And so we give you that opportunity. Listen, you don't have to come forward. You don't have to jump through any hoops. You just have to pray that prayer. And help. let us help you grow. Let us help you grow in your faith. We're committed to that. Now before I close this in prayer, I want to say to you something I say every week, but I want to say this more than I've ever said it. If I could, I'm, I'm 73, I, I would give my life for you if I could. I honestly mean that. I would give my life for you if I could for you to come to Christ. I thought about whether I should say this or not because it sounds pretty grandiose. I would give my life. I don't have that much time left. I would give my life for you, but I can't. I can't. You need to make that decision yourself. And by the grace of God, please don't put it off. Today is the day of salvation. Now is the acceptable time. Thank you for letting me be your pastor for this, however long he'll allow me. And someone came up to me last night after I said that. I said, you know, you're standing up fairly straight for a guy 73. You might have a couple more years left, left in you. <laughs> I said, really? I stood up even more straighter. I said, really? I'd like to do it as long as I can. Because I truly love you, and I truly do love our Lord. Father in heaven, if there's anyone here that, that needs to come to you, please, let them not put this off any further. Do not say this as a scare tactic. God forbid. We just preach the truth. Today is the day of that's most acceptable. Today is the day of salvation because none of us are guaranteed to tomorrow. May we trust in you, Father, and you alone. Like Joseph, may we say to sin that comes in our life, how can we do this evil against our God? May we trust in you and you alone throughout all of eternity. And may we hear that name, that, that one special name you're going to give us. Hmm. We ask this, Father, in Jesus' precious name. Amen.
Have a great day. I love you all so much. Thank you so much. Have a great day.